Hey everyone, thank you for listening to the Uloft podcast. I'm recording this special message for you at the beginning of this episode to warn you that we discuss some very sensitive topics in this one. These topics include trauma and sexual abuse. We are not professionals, and our opinions are not qualified to be accepted clinically. If hearing about this kind of thing hurts you, you should stop listening now and skip this episode. You're listening to the Uloft Podcast, presented by United IUP, a community of college students and young adults in Indiana, Pennsylvania, who are dedicated to unite with each other and Christ to change the world around us. We hope that this podcast raises questions and answers others, while ultimately starting a conversation to discover unifying biblical truth in this chaotic world. <laughs> okay, so the first thing everyone should be hearing on the Uloft podcast is Caleb singing. Uh, Wait, were you recording when I? No, I think I, I caught. That? I think I caught the end of it. Uh, nice. Why don't you give it back to us, Caleb? Yeah, go back. Sing it. What? what which, is this? which part? So we're we're huge T Swift T Swizzle fans here at Yeah. Speak for Wait, yourself. Wait, you guys Caleb. aren't T Swift fans? Not we are huge. Caleb, Caleb is a is. huge. I don't know if I'm huge. I like T Swift. <laughs> are you? Do you guys legitimately not like Taylor no. Swift? No. What? Wait, 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 wait. Pause. <laughs> um, do you not like uh, pre twenty thirteen T Swift, post twenty thirteen T Swift, or all of it? Teardrops Never on my guitar. That's all. I have like. I ever? All right. Well, to be fair, Texans are uncultured, so like that's fine. <laughs> I thought, I, I thought Caleb was gonna say, "Wait a minute, pause." Do you not like music? <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, so Caleb, give us the uh, what? Us this song. is episode twenty-five, and Caleb has yeah, a special. Yeah, so we were singing. We we realized we missed our opportunity to sing. I'm feeling twenty. Oh, that was a good. <laughs> <laughs> a good voice crack. So here's the thing. I'm 27. I think I just started puberty uh, maybe a couple of years ago because my voice still cracks. So maybe I'm going to be like 6'5". That would be pretty dope. There you go. And looking like Kendall being all swole. So after that voice crack, I'm not singing anymore. <laughs> but we were going to... have to imagine You have it. to sing it. We're gonna, we were going to transpose I'm feeling 22 onto 25 just for you all because we love you. I think you still should. If you love I'm feeling 25. There we we go nice nice that was good so that was the best opening we ever had at a uloft podcast it was yeah it was we uh, roasted texans did they win this last week by the way cowboys Cowboys absolutely did yes 100 percent so i have no room to we're both one and one texas and the cowboys won horns up go cowboys what about the rangers no one cares uh, about sports. Yeah, on the this Rangers podcast, are garbage. Guys. They are. So they're here anyways. to hear about not Jesus. as bad as Pittsburgh, but not as bad as Pittsburgh. Okay, Michael, what do you got for us today? <laughs> yeah, just to, just to let everyone know, this is I'm Michael, and I'm sitting here with Kendall, Sam, and Caleb. Yo, since there's no video, you that do. was Kendall singing, by the way. Yeah, totally. Yeah, my, my voice cracks really bad. <clears throat> so we are recording on a Wednesday morning after a U night. And we're addressing some of the questions that were left unanswered, maybe some deeper ideas that we didn't have time to deal with in the context of the message. And so why don't we just kick this off with a very difficult one? Um, Sounds fun. So I want to talk about soul ties and. Wow. Caleb. (laughs) (laughs) Number one rule of podcast. I thought I did. I thought I did. Some really ethereal music though, like going into it. Yeah. Oh man. Soul ties. All right. Let's uh, do that hard question again. Okay. And restart. (laughs) By way of preamble. And then we have the music. Uh, 
Okay, so Kendall, you talked a lot about soul ties uh, last night, and I couldn't help but think, what if you have two people who are unmarried but who love each other and are thinking to themselves as they're hearing you talk about the strength of soul ties and the the long-lasting nature of soul ties, Mm -hmm. and they're thinking to themselves, that's precisely what I want with this person. I'm aiming at that. What would you say to somebody in that situation? Um, Well, so... I think part of it is uh, how old are they? Um, because I think a lot of high school sweethearts do this or even yes. early early collegiate sweethearts do this. Uh, in fact, I remember the first like long-term girlfriend I had in high school, I justified uh, basically having sex with her before marriage because I was like, we're going to get married. We I even told my other. dad that. I was like, dad, don't worry, man. We're going to get married. It's going to be great. Uh, we did not get married. Spoiler alert. Um, oh. <laughs> so I, first of all, I would, I would look at the age, right? And then second of all, I would say, <laughs> you, 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 you said in your question, people who really love each other, who actually love each other. So if you actually love each other and you were of age, I would say, why aren't you getting married? Like, if you really do love each other enough that you want to create this tie and this bond, then the way that God designed that to be was in the covenant of marriage. And we could look at marriage in our, in today's society and just say, well, it's just a piece of paper. You sign it. You say, I do blah, blah, blah. Butt or, cheeks. Yeah. Boo butt cheeks. That's right. <laughs> but what it actually is, what it actually is, it's a covenant, which is an agreement <laughs> like between you and God and your spouse. And that's why you do it you know, uh, traditionally in a church with a minister um, is because you are essentially saying, I am committing to this person no matter what, you know, fill in the blank on your vows, no matter what, no matter how bad it gets, no matter how good it is, I'm to committing to this hold, person to have and to hold. Yes, and you're right. And You've done more weddings than I have. You're right. So <laughs> you have that and then you have the spouse also saying, me too, I'm going to do that. And then you are both saying that before God, say, hold us accountable to this. Right. We are going to be in this till the end, no matter what. And so if you really truly love each other and that's what you're wanting to do, then I would say, get married. What are you waiting for? Mm-hmm. Like, do it the right way. Um, and I think we were talking about this before, uh, and we're going to actually do a whole series on this book called Outdated by Jonathan Bacluda next semester. And um, I think he says in his book, like, he advocates for that. Like, go ahead and get married and then figure the stuff out after you got married. Like, figure life out after you got married, because most people are doing that anyways. So don't wait until you think you're ready for marriage or you've got your career down or you've got, you know, the house bought or whatever. Like, don't wait for that. If you are uh, burning with desire or passion, as Paul says, for each other, then go ahead and get married. Why are you waiting? Is if you're 18 and older, like, you know, if you're 15 and 16, for some reason, listening to this, please don't, don't do that. And don't say yes. that. I, don't tell I would, your parents I would even I argue <laughs> maybe like 21, yeah. like do that. Yes. Yeah. College well, even maybe? Well, okay. Yeah. But again, again, if two people who are adults who truly, truly love each other, like they really believe that, then it's okay for them to get married. Oh, yeah. And they're going to have issues because guess what? Everyone Every has single issues. marriage has issues. Spoiler alert, I'm going to tell you right now, if you think you're going to find Prince Charming and everything's going to be great and you're going to have a beautiful house with three kids and a dog, um, like, no. Like, maybe that happens, but that is not the goal. And that is not um, that is not the... Uh, 
That is not the end. That's not the right. end goal. Well, I'll say that. Um, you are going to have issues in your marriage. A thousand percent, you're going to have issues in your marriage. And so it doesn't really matter, I don't believe, <laughs> uh, if you don't have it all figured out at the yeah. beginning, right? Because you're yeah, going to have to have crap to figure out later, especially if you really have decided I'm here till the end. Yeah. Um, just as an aside, and then I'll stop talking. Um, I had, uh, I was counseling um, kind of, uh, I mean, I, I wasn't their marriage counselor, but I was counseling a couple recently about getting married. And um, I told them, I said, do not make the decision to marry the person for who they are right now. Make the decision to marry the person for who they're going to be in 50 mm -hmm. years. And guess what? You don't know who they're going to be in 50 years. You, you might have an idea, but you don't have a guarantee of what their, how their life has changed their thought process or what they, you know, what even if they believe something slightly different in 50 years or if they just have changed a little bit, like you don't know who they're going to be in 50 years, but you're saying, I don't care because yeah. I'm committed to growing with you and, and learning who you are and, 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 uh, you know, knowing you as you grow. And so you have to make the decision to marry someone 50 years down the road, yeah. not who they are right now. So that's yeah. a little bit of a long form answer, but that's what I would say. If you truly love each other, what are you waiting on? Go get yeah. married. That's why you have to understand your definition of what love is because it's not so much about the infatuation with the person. It's like, will I commit to them like in the long run? And whenever you're 15, 16 years old, like you don't even know how to commit to a homecoming dress. Like you don't That's even true. know how to do, you don't know how to commit to even anything. So you have to evaluate like, do I really love them in the sense of I want to commit to them, to that person who's 80 years old and wrinkly? Or do I just, am I just infatuated with them? And that's the difference. Like love is not a feeling. It's a commitment. It's an action. It's something that you have to follow through with, not just while you're young and fun and not wrinkly yet. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you look at uh, 1 Corinthians 13, um, you know, many people use that as, well, that's the love chapter, right? But that's not necessarily a romantic love. That is a love that like, that is pure love. Like that it does, it holds no record of wrongs. Like, yeah. you know, like that, that love is the love that God has for us. And that love is a, um, a covenantial love. That love is a commitment love. That love is not an emotional love. If you go through and read first Corinthians 13, it is not a lovey dovey, feel good, not, not, like romantic passage. Romance. Yeah, it is. This is what love actually looks like. This is what commitment actually looks like to those that you love. And so that's a that's a great point that you brought up there. Yeah, First Corinthians 13 is not showing up on a Walmart shelf. No. It's like a love romance yeah. novel. So the um <laughs> make that into a movie, but not it would not sell at all. <laughs> no. The cultural trend is to <clears throat> excuse me. The cultural trend is to wait until you've somewhat established your life until you're on on your two feet, so to speak, before you get married. And I think that um, there's probably reasons for that cultural trend, but I think there's also some good arguments against it. And one of them is that if you establish your own life before bringing someone else into it, you're going to ask them to sacrifice everything to fit your life instead of creating a life with them. That could be a problem. That could lead to some imbalances. Um, and the second thing is, you might generate some habits. You might train yourself uh, at being alone, uh, which would be counter 
productive towards being married. Mm -hmm. And so if you have those habits, like needing excessive amounts of space or whatever it is, or being unwilling to compromise or not seeing all the ways that you are unsanctified that you, that would become revealed to you once you're married to somebody. Like if you wait until you're in your mid thirties before you make that decision, uh, you know, are, are you going to have habits built in much deeper that are harder to break because you've spent more time in them that are, those habits are going to be harmful to your marriage. What do you think about all that? Um, I think it depends, right? So I'm 27. I haven't been married yet. And I think that I probably have some bad habits that would fall into that category. I also think by the fact that I am 27, that uh, I have also worked on a lot of bad habits that I had picked up from time before. Um, and, you know, 27 is not really old, all things considered. But, you know, compared to being married at 20 and having seven years into a marriage, mm-hmm. right? And I had a friend who got married at 19 when I was in college. And I was yeah. like, wow. Yeah, I was, married at, I was married a month before I turned 21. Yeah. Um, and so it's like, you know, I think it, it depends on the person. It depends on kind of the habits that they have. It, de- it depends. But the, I think that is a pretty reasonable argument. And it's like, um, if you have built a life of being alone or by yourself, being independent, being whatever you want to call it, um, when you have two independent people who are trying to become very dependent upon each other, uh, that increases tension, right? The, the perk of getting married younger ish, right. Is that you are still forming your independence, mm-hmm. right? Like if you got married at 20, you've only been out of your parents' house for two years, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and you are learning how to become independent. And if you do that alongside of someone else, it's like, okay, you know, both of you are in a phase, like a a Morpheus phase, so to speak, where it's easier to mold things together. It's like the metal's still hot, right? You can still fuse it together better than if you had two cold pieces Mm -hmm. of steel. Like you can't really... Mm -hmm put those together yeah speaking of the metal still being hot so uh imagine Ooh. if like yeah i'm gonna go there actually um, Science. so let's go. if you if you wait until you're if you have two people who wait until they're in their 30s and let's say they were like boyfriend girlfriend all through their 20s and they were doing everything that husband and wife does so, so they, they dated for 10 years functionally as a married couple yes dated lived together sex all of it And so they went through the honeymoon period before they made their vows. And so once they make their vows and they see how things change a little bit and the difficulties associated with marriage, um, they don't have the strength of the passion of the honeymoon period to help them get through those problems anymore because they've already lived through, you know, they're already used to each other, you know, and I'm not saying that marriages have to cool off. I'm just saying that it's certainly useful to have that, uh, that passion to help carry you through difficult circumstances and difficult situations associated with being uh, newly married for, mm-hmm. for instance. Yeah. 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 I mean, really any kind of like marriage counselor, guru book, whatever talks about that, like about, you know, keeping the metal hot, if you will to go along with it, right? Like, <laughs> well, oddly I mean, enough, that was not my intent of that analogy, but I know, you know. Fire burning. I'm just saying it, it like, worked. because when pa- you're right, when passion goes away, it's harder to because, okay. So here, here's, I'll bring it all the way back to what we talked about last I think night. we need a graph. Yeah. Right? <laughs> let like me, let me show you. Yeah. To so here's the deal, right? Hardship. Is that, is that, um, again, I talked about sexual intimacy, right? And that sexual intimacy creates, or se- sex between two people who are married 
or anybody who's not married creates intimacy that's physical, emotional, and spiritual. And the great thing about it is that when you are having sex in God's design in a marriage, that physical, emotional, and spiritual intimacy draws you both closer and so makes it not easy, but easier mm-hmm. to handle life's crazy situations right. and to handle life's chaos. Because when you are pursuing each other and pursuing God uh, physically, emotionally, spiritually, each other, pursuing God emotionally and spiritually, then then you are creating intimacy in the right way, in the right design, and therefore it's much easier to take on life's crap. Mm-hmm. So sure. yeah. well, that's yeah. why there is an encouragement. I mean, in the Bible of like that being a, a, a part of your relationship, like a, a, because it keeps the connection there. And like, that's why we have to expand what sexual intimacy is because it is, it's the emotional part. Like you can't just expect to, you know, have sex with your wife all the time and never talk to mm-hmm. her and there be intimacy. Like there's, and that's why the spiritual intimacy comes in too, of like speaking about God together mm-hmm. and praying together. But if you, it, Honestly, if any of those cords are severed, you're going to see like disconnect in your relationship. You're going to see the passion go away. You're going to see hardness, you know, just come up in your heart. And that's why you have to have, but the beauty of sex is that it brings in all of those things. Yeah. But here's the crazy thing, right? If you do that outside of God's design and you do that with multiple partners, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you become numb to the emotional and physical and spiritual intimacy that you're supposed to have. And so then when you get married, what ends up being is it becomes a transactional thing Mm -hmm. and sex becomes transactional. You give me sex, me, man, you woman, you give me sex. Like that's, you know, like, or the other way around, I guess, like, you know, (laughs) sorry. I I just thought of this like massive, massive uh, cave woman, like with the freaking club. I just picture you with like a Honda of beef saying that me man <laughs> you woman beef, you for the s- record i've never said that ever so <laughs> <laughs> anyways uh back on we promise we're not a bunch of misogynistic <laughs> yeah. people so back on that like we really do numb ourselves to what the intimacy is and that's why i said last night in the in this in the talk is that you you are trading uh, what real intimacy is for something that's counterfeit because mm-hmm. the more and more you try to gain that intimacy back, you are actually digging a deeper hole. So, you know, it's almost like trying to get out of a hole by digging deeper. It's not mm-hmm. going to work, right? You're just going to keep digging yourself deeper. And so that's the, that's one of the reasons, it's one of the main reasons why you're supposed to wait and only have that with one person is because that shouldn't be numbed. And when it's in God's design, it is not numbed it is a beautiful thing yeah and i i can speak to that of like it numbing you over time and someone showed me like an analogy of this of like whenever you you know like you remember your first like the first time is like putting a piece of masking tape on your arm you pull it off and there's like pain and there's sensation but as you keep applying the tape and reapplying it and taking it off it becomes less and less sticky and numb and numb over time you don't feel anything and i mean i know from experience of like going into marriage having a very rough past as a college student and as a high school student of sleeping around and like how when I entered into marriage, like we give this like false sense of hope to people that like it's going to be great when you're married and like all, God will restore all of it. And I believe that he can because medically he he actually in your body will restore the things in you for intimacy over time. But for me, I went into it totally numb to emotional and sexual intimacy. So it was completely lacking, not because God wasn't moving in the covenantal marriage, but because I had numbed myself out to it over time. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it really, you know, I think we lie to people when we say like, 
it doesn't affect you or, 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 you know, you can just sleep around and it won't hurt you. Like it does because mm-hmm. you lack the thing yeah. that you were created for. That's intimacy. And everybody realizes that eventually. Mm-hmm. Caleb, you keep taking deep breaths like you want to say something. Well, <laughs> I, I had, just can't breathe. I had a bunch of things I wanted to say. And then um, <clears throat> a question came to mind that especially considering we're working with college students and it came out of my time working. Um, so I worked at Duke for a while. Um, and like, this is, I'll preface it this way. going to be a hard question to answer, right? Maybe not a hard question to answer, but it's a, like, it's a rough question. It's like, all right, we're talking about all of these school ties. What if someone forced one upon you and you didn't want anything to do it? What then? Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like, that happens. One out of four women right now, statistically speaking, um, are sexually assaulted. And, uh, when I was working with college students, is actually one out of three. Now, whether it was because more people were reporting or because it was happening at higher statistics, I don't know. And then men still have a really high, like one out of eight or something like that, men mm. report sexual assault or abuse um, of some sort. And it's like, okay, so how do we how do we frame this conversation? This is really going to derail it because I know, Michael, you had a bunch of questions, but I think it's particularly relevant given what mm-hmm. we've been talking about. Um, so, like, how do we... How do we think about how do we manage that? How do we give hope to people um, who are experiencing that? Um, I think that's really a pertinent question that we should answer. Yeah, I think it starts with, and I don't, I'm not a trauma therapist. Um, I do not know all of the deep details of this, but I do know where it starts. And it starts with something we talked about last night is inviting God even daily Lord, will you please restore what's been stolen from me? Will you yeah. will you restore what's been taken from me? Will you restore what has, um, you know, what has left me? The the um, numbness that I feel. Will you please restore joy to me? Like the depression that I feel, or the hurt that I feel, the heartache that I feel. Will you restore it? And it is going to take some time. Yeah. It is going to take a lot of time. Um, because God absolutely can, um, he can do something in a moment. And I believe that there are many times that he does, but a lot of the times he's asking us to continue to draw close to him. And that is a situation that if you do not have a faith, if you do not have God to go to, it is hopeless. It is Mm -hmm. completely hopeless. But if you have a relationship with Jesus, you know who you are in Christ or through Christ, and you know who you are to God, I think that you can begin to invite him, Lord, will you please heal me? And it, again, it might be an everyday thing. It might be an everyday, um, you know, prayer, uh, God restore. Um, that is an ultimate, that is an ultimate betrayal of, of humanity. (laughs) That is an ultimate betrayal of a person. And I just know, um, working through some of my own stuff and, um, also hearing other stories is that when um, when a spouse betrays another spouse, they feel a lot of the same kind of feelings um, like that they uh, that they were assaulted, essentially like that's kind of the feet that's um, psychologically the same kind of things happen. And so I can at least speak from that standpoint of it has to be a daily pursuit. Mm-hmm. And there are some days where the pursuit looks like just getting out of bed. Yeah. <laughs> and there are some days where the pursuit looks like God led me to read this book, you know, that um, 
that is going to help me with this trauma or God led me to this counselor and I'm going to go speak to them who's a Christian and who knows how to deal with these things from a spiritual biblical perspective. Um, and sometimes it, 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 it requires just again, prayer on your end of Lord, please. And that prayer might last years. Yeah, it might. And decades. And yeah. I can speak from, I mean, truly, if we're just going to be honest, I was sexually assaulted in college and I was, a, I was like a brand, I mean, I had basically become a Christian like right after this happened. Um, and something that we have to realize about sexual abuse is it's not just the act. It is like, it is an act of betrayal and of, of ruining the innocence of a person. It is stealing something. It's stealing something from someone. And so just to name it and say like, what happened was traumatic. And I know for me, all the questions of like, well, did I invite this? In? I had all those questions. Like, did I invite this in? Like, I was living a certain way. Like, did I, ask, you know, you have that question as an abuse victim. Like, did I ask for this to happen to me? And just for anyone who's listening, like, know that you, it is not your fault. Like, and that's something that abuse survivors need to hear that no one will say, like, it is not your fault. You did not cause this. What they did to you was wrong and they stole something from you and for me the thing that's helped me with that betrayal is like as hard as it is to say it like knowing that Jesus was not absent in that moment and that can be sound horrible because it's like well why didn't Jesus step in like why didn't he do something yeah and I've had those questions of why but now I understand the perspective and the ways that he's healed me throughout it the ways that he has shown me um that he is not someone who will betray me. He's not someone who will ever steal something from me. He will never do that kind of thing. Like that is what's helped me. And I think um, like that's the reality we have to face that this is happening so much mm-hmm. and to and it, that it's unfair to have that connection when you did not willingly enter into that connection, but to know that Christ can heal that, that he doesn't want that he doesn't want that soul tie for you either like he doesn't want that to hold you down for the rest of your life like but to invite him in like Kendall said and to pursue healing in that and to pursue um Christ's presence in the midst of all of that like horrible horrible pain that's what i believe can help to sever that um and, and help you move on from that mm-hmm. yeah okay yeah. i just wanted to ask that question so <clears throat> yeah there's a couple things that we can add to that uh practically that that i think uh traditionally get overlooked inside the church uh one of them is the way that you respond to a person when they come to you with a claim that they've been assaulted um often i've heard pastors say that they have to they kind of set it up like they have to choose whether they believe that the person the suspect actually did it before they hear out the person who's approaching them making the claim. Um, that's a false dichotomy. So when someone approaches you and says, Hey, this happened to me, uh, the right way always is to treat that person as if it happened. That's what the, the feminist type, uh, what they mean when they say believe women, what they're not saying is indict all men. They're saying that if someone comes to you and says, Hey, this happened to me. Um, and there's, there's actually a, a very practical reason for that. So if a person, if, if, if a person is um, hurt in this way and then they come to an authority figure or someone who they trust, and then that person says, Oh no, this didn't happen. Or, Oh, I need to find out for sure. 
what happens in that moment is another betrayal, which is yes. of the same magnitude of, as the assault They're re-traumatized. Itself. They're yes. essentially yep. re-traumatized. Right. And so you can avoid massive damage just on that first step. Uh, and so that's something that you need to think about and you can, you can hold, and by you, I mean, anyone listening, listening to this, uh, you can hold a person who comes to you with that claim, uh, in the, in that, in that proper regard without indicting the other person. Uh, so you can keep those two things separate. That's, that's sort of step number one. And step number two is, um, you really need to think in terms of like, uh, you know, if it's a, not just a trauma limited to sexual assault, but a trauma, you know, associated with like PTSD or whatever it is, or, or a betrayal of uh, someone you love. Um, there's a possibility that uh, you have a, so that there's a part of your brain called the amygdala and it's responsible for your fight or flight response. Right. And if you're traumatized sufficiently, uh, your amygdala will sort of uh, become dysfunctional. It'll, it'll be in like a hyperloop so that you, Correct. the fight or flight response will be triggered when it shouldn't be. Um, you need to see someone uh, who is a professional in terms of uh, neuroanatomy, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, all of that. Someone who's able to speak to those parts of it on that level. Um, because while it is the case that uh, proper belief will mm. set you up to be able to respond properly to traumatizing events, if you don't have proper belief in place at the moment of a trauma, yeah. the damage is done. Yeah. And if you don't, uh, if you if you don't work uh, to unpack that into with with someone who's qualified and and not and first of all, not all therapists are qualified. I mean they qualified as in they have credentials, but some of them are just bad. Yeah. There are, there are trauma, (laughs) there are trauma Trauma specialists and you need to go to somebody like that. And if you've been to five, six, seven in a row and none of them have been able to help you, that doesn't mean that there's something uniquely wrong with you. It just means you've had six bad ones in a row. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's someone out there who knows what they're doing, who can help on that thing. So, uh, it's important to know Texas. Yeah. My therapist in town, she, she is uh, and that's where I have gone in my therapy process is getting into the depths of my brain and seeing the effects that you know because it it changes your brain especially if you're younger and that's a whole other topic but like especially if you're younger in your adolescence and you're traumatized sexually it 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 rewires your brain and you that's why for me I know why as an adult I I was in promiscuity because it just my brain was messed up that's how I associated love was through sexuality so but that's why you need a qualified person who's going to be like, this is why you believe what you believe. Because it isn't all about, you know, praying and right believing. It is like, sometimes you got to get into the depths of your brain and that's trust the foundation. that God meets you there. Yeah, the found- both yeah. And. yeah exactly. Yeah, both of them. The foundation yeah. is having the right belief yeah. um, and, and having faith and pursuing God. And that's what unlocks a lot of things for you, even in your trauma uh, mm-hmm. right. uh, therapy and talking to people. Like, you got to remember, God created the brain too, right? Yeah. He created everything about us. So like, he's also just like he gives us medical doctors who take care of things that are on the outside of the body. He also has given us some people who Brain know doctors. what the heck's going on <laughs> in your neurological Kendall, pathways. Do your doctors only check the outside of your body? Yeah, they do. I actually don't go to the doctor. Neither. <laughs> <laughs> we go to therapy. Though. Usually doctors I, check I most of the to... inside. <laughs> I know what I'm saying is like, if you had, you know, like know, a cut, kidding, you know? broken leg. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And then just the last, <laughs> the last thing, and then we can move on. Um, the last thing is if you have a trauma 
you have to do the work to get out of it. Um, mm -hmm. If you don't do the work, it is permanent. It will never let you go. Time will not heal it. Yeah. Um, and so that's a difficult thing to confront. Um, and it's a, uh, but it's a reality. And so mm -hmm. that's something that's, that's another point that everyone who might be going through something like that needs to know. Okay. Uh, so if this is you, just know we love you and we want to help if we can. Yes. Yeah, we want to point you in the right direction. We want to pray with you. We want to pray for you. Yeah. Um, you know, none of us are trauma specialists in any yeah. way, but yeah. we know people who are, we can so. point you in the right direction. Right. And there's nothing wrong with you in particular that is a, like a special case to where you can't be helped, to where you're doomed to a life mm -hmm. of misery and yep. depression. Yep. Um, okay. So let's go to the next question, which is how would you love someone who's living in a culturally constructed sexual identity without affirming that identity? Mm, yes. Mm. That's a great that way was, to start an answer. Yes. I'm going to use that. Mm, mm, yes. Mm. Mm. A, a stroke of the beard. You know, it's I won't sound like right you're now. thinking, right? You know, like <laughs> I will say. Let this. me put my glasses on. Whatever. Uh, glasses next, on, next time, Sorry, next time I'm at a restaurant and the waitress asks me what I want to eat, I'm going to say, "Hmm, yes." Mm, mm. Yes. I like the T-bone from Hosses, you jerk. <laughs> anyway, sorry, inside joke. I did. I, you know, that actually made me think of something. I remember. So I worked for a pastor um in minneapolis for a summer which was a, a great time um and he was full of wisdom and anytime he was asked a question and it kind of got irritating to me because my brain works pretty quickly and like i want to you know and i'm a verbal processor on top of that mm -hmm. so like i, I, I yep. get things out quickly um he legitimately like you would have 20 second pauses where someone would ask him a question and he would think about it for 20 seconds you know roughly speaking oh, and then actually answer Right. And part of me was like, that's incredibly infuriating. Um, but part of me was like, I, I bet that this man regrets very few things he says. Yeah. And I was like, shoot, I regret a lot of things mm -hmm. I say. And I <laughs> need I'm to. I'm talking and I haven't even. Fully so, you know, when you thought. said, mm, yes, you, and you actually took a pause to think about it, I was like, oh, we should do that more. So, I mean, yeah. that's what I was trying to do. Yeah. Duh. So let's take 20 <laughs> seconds, sit here in silence. Go. Just kidding. No, Luckily, just you guys didn't know this, but we we have already had discussions about this to give you the best answer. A little possible. bit, yeah. We don't want to. We don't want to. We don't want to lead anybody astray. Right. So, um, yeah. Who who had the best answer? Caleb. Sam did. No. <laughs> can you ask the question one more time? So here's let's, re it. let's reset it. Well, here's a primer, yeah. and then you guys can bounce off of this. Um, the way I would answer this question is that uh, probably the best first step to loving someone who is living in a culturally constructed sexual identity is to focus on the parts of them that are not that thing. Um, because first of all, we run into trouble when we take something that's a sin and we craft an identity based off of it. And so one of the best things you can do to love someone who's outside of the faith or someone who's not a Christian um, or someone who's living in sin or living in a culturally, culturally constructed sexual identity is to focus on all the parts of them that are not that, all the parts of them that are, are godly and, um, you know, and, and also be Christ-like around them exercise a Christ-like mode of being and just doing those two things. I think so much of the time we think that we have to do the, the Holy Spirit's work and that we have to sanctify the hearts of someone who we really love and who we know is, um, you know, going down a wrong way. We feel like we have to pull them back from that. Um, but sometimes uh, there's the, it's the unspoken things that are sort of acted out that uh, carry a lot of weight mm -hmm. yep. in a person's life. Well, Kendall, you had said 
Um, I'm picking back off your idea that this kind of falls into this three categories of people, roughly speaking, that this falls into, right? Like you have um, people who aren't in the faith and are living a cultural lifestyle, which it's like, well, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that's Um, what they're going to do. Yeah. Uh, you have, I believe I said potatoes going to potate, Put you yes. did, but it's only because of potato Jesus. And I said that if you are, if you are painting over your God given identity, it doesn't matter how good it looks at on the outside or whatever. It's still technically it's a, potato. a potato. Yeah. So just go back and watch that. And, and you can, you can Google it. Webster's <laughs> dictionary. The verb form of potato is to potate. potate? Yes. <laughs> or the, the infinitive form is to potate. Um, so we've got, you know, people who aren't in the faith and therefore have no obligation to follow rules of the faith, right? Mm-hmm. You have people who are Christians um, who maybe are, are are struggling with something um, but genuinely recognize, like, the hurt and hang-ups that come with that and are working on it but keep falling back. And then you have people who just don't give a rip. They claim to be Christians, don't give a rip, right? Um, yeah. And, and that's kind of, like, the, the framework that we're working with, and th- there's ways to respond differently for each one of those. Yeah, they have the form of, that last one is the form of godliness, but denying the power uh, for life change. Yeah. And also people who simply are saying, I can do anything. Um, and, you know, Paul mentions all these people. Meganoido. Like, yeah, Paul basically talks about That's all Greek. these people. Um, it's uh, in 1 Corinthians uh, 5.11, he actually says that if someone, if there's a believer um, who continues to live in unrepentant sin and just does not care and then says that they're a believer, that you're not supposed to associate that with them. Like, mm-hmm. And that's harsh, man. That is harsh and it's hard to do. But it's it's not that someone is sinning. Because literally everybody sins. So it's not that, oh, if you sin, I can't associate with you. What it's saying is that if you are continually doing so without caring and actually saying this is not a sin or it's right, it's wrong, sorry, but I'm going to keep doing it, then that would be the way that Paul's talking about. Then we look at 1 Corinthians 6. Um, verse 10 and 11 or 9, 10 and 11, uh, Paul basically gives this long list of people that uh, will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And it's basically a long list of sins. It's a long list of people who are identifying with their sin. And then in verse 11, it says, such were some of you, but you've been changed. Like you've been, uh, you've been made new, right? And so Paul in that, in that sense is talking about that second group of people who they might have messed up. They might continually mess up or struggle with something, but really on the inside, they've been changed because every time they do mess up, they repent. They're like, man, I need to get this right. Mm -hmm. And I really do want to pursue God. And they actually change their mind and change the way that they're moving, the direction they're moving. But then I think the question here is really, how do we love the people in the world, uh, quote unquote, that are not of faith that are, and we'll just come out and say that are, that are not living a biblical sexual lifestyle, meaning one man, one woman with marriage or within marriage. If they're not living that, um, even specifically, uh, homosexuality, single and celibate. Yeah. Or single. Yeah. yeah, uh, Or single and celibate. Yeah. Um, if they're not living that specifically, even in homosexuality, uh, or any kind of variation of that, I know there's so many other variations and I'm not going to get into all of them right now, but that's the, the foundation, right? Um, is that, uh, if they are doing that and they don't believe in Jesus already, it's not that it makes it right, but our response has to be a little different, right? Like our response can't be, hey, you can't inherit the kingdom of God. Like 
we cannot do that. The church for way too long yeah. has done that. Yeah. Um, way too long. I have friends who I know, who I grew up with, who were very good friends that grew up in the church. And as soon as they came out of the closet, um, they were pointed the finger at and said, well, pff, sucks for you. Have fun burning in hell. Like, and I'm not kidding. Like it was that harsh. And to this day, he's my same age to this day. Um, he, he has written off the church forever. And like that breaks my heart because the church has pointed the finger at people um, instead of loving them, right? So the way that we love those three people, I think, the people that are in the world, is we recognize that they don't have a faith in Jesus and they don't understand who they were created to be in Jesus. So the best way to do that with that or any other sin, by the way, any other sinful lifestyle, is to simply live the story that God has given you live the identity that God has given you and God has given you identity of intimacy with him. He's given you the identity of being a follower of Jesus, being a son of God or a daughter of God. And what you've got to do is you've got to live your testimony essentially like, Hey, this is what God has done for me. Don't ever stop talking about it. Don't ever stop talking about the things that God has set you free from. And it doesn't have to be awkward. If you are in pursuit of God, it's going to flow out of you. Right. right. And so it's not uh, shun them and don't ever talk with them. It's actually be friends with them. Yeah. Be friends with them. You know, don't, don't do what they do, but be friends with them and, and live your life in such a way that it's a testimony for what God has done. And I fully 100% believe that if you're doing that, you don't ever have to preach to them that there, there, there are opportunities. There will be opportunities for you. I've seen that happen in my own life where there were opportunities for me to speak life or to speak truth to someone who asked me the question. And I say, well, this is what I believe. And this is what the Bible teaches. And the reason I know is because it's, it's lumped in the, it's lumped in a uh, list of a whole bunch of other sins of which I committed and of which I used to identify with. And I know that God has changed me completely. And so that's one of the ways that you deal with the people in the world, the people that are in the church who are struggling, um, who are struggling and, and have been taught that it's wrong, but they're struggling with under with, with accepting the truth. Again, I think it's very similar. We don't point the finger and say you better or else. Because someone who's struggling with their sexual identity or struggling with homosexuality in the church even, but they're not practicing it or they're not acting on it or they're, they're really trying like, God, why do I have these desires? Like, I, you know, I, I want this, but I know it's not right. How do I deal with that? The worst thing that you can do is to shame them. Yeah. Yeah. The worst yeah. thing you can do. And that's why we have Jesus as an example. Like he, he was able to be friends with sinners without affirming their sin or partaking in the sin. And I I think of the story of the woman caught in adultery. Like he did not start the the conversation with her from a, like a a beginning of shame. He first got on her level and spoke with her and gave her comfort and compassion. And then he invited her to say, okay, let's, let's go and sin no more. And that's where like, we have him as an example. And I think the reason, you know, whenever we live out our true identity in Jesus, like Jesus was so secure in who he was in the father. He was so secure about what he was supposed to do on the earth. And that's what invited people in. Like his security and his sonship is what invited people in. And he never started, you know, he never pointed out people's sins off the offset. The people that he pointed out the sin of the most off the offset was mm. the religious people that yeah. were accusing others. So if we if we just look to Jesus and realize like, no, we have to act like he did. And he, mm-hmm. you know, 
he was not overcome by the sin of the world. He was able to be friends with people that were doing wrong things. Not only that, but actually the first thing Jesus does in that story, before he even gets on her level, um, is he protects her from mm-hmm. the accusations of the church. Yeah. Right? So yeah. This woman who seemingly isn't part of this religious faith is being accused. Like, this is a prime example. Person not part of any faith um, being accused by religious people to a standard to which they held that this woman doesn't seem to care about. Um, and the first thing Jesus does is protects her from those insults, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then he gets on their level, and then he, like, addresses what's going on at a heart level. Um, and, you know, it's a beautiful example. If you don't know it, we preached on it the first week, did we not? Yes, we yes. did. John 8. Um, John 8, so go check that out. Um, so it's like, okay, so what's the church's response for people who aren't part of the church when the ch- like what is our response as people in the church to people who have been hurt by the church mm-hmm. for these very things when it's like why you know they don't know better they don't mm-hmm. why would they live that way why would they know that you know so it's yeah. like we have a duty um as christians to be caring for people. Like you said, it's like, it's not about judgment. It's not about pointing fingers. It's about loving. And part of that mm-hmm. love is undoing some of the work that we as the church, yeah. quote unquote, um, have done. Right. Yeah. One and of the things really important. Yeah. One of the things that uh, I've done recently is if I've had a conversation with someone that, um, and this is actually, this has happened recently. I've had a conversation with someone who asked me like, what do you believe about homosexuality? Do you believe I'm, I'm going to hell? And I just explained, you know, well, I think that if we all continue on in sin and we don't give our lives to Jesus, then yes, we we all would end up like being separated from God. Um, but if we've given our life to Jesus, and I just explained through that, like if we give our life to Jesus and we're, we're trying to pursue him and we're allowing him to sanctify us through a process, then I think that I don't get to de- determine, <laughs> you know, what your process looks like. Now, that being said, what I've done, this is this was the point I wanted to say is like he was talking about specifically the um yeah, this is, you know, this is what my family has said, or this is what the church has said, or this is what I felt like growing up. And and I just told him, I was like, I'm sorry, dude. Yeah. Oh no, no, it's okay. No, no, no. I'm telling you. Let mm-hmm. me tell you. I'm sorry. Yeah. Like I might not have been a part of that. But I'm a representative of but it. But yes, but I'm a representative of it. And that's not the first time I've done that either. Yeah. Like I've done that, like I talking with my, again, my friend from, from high school and college, like that came out, like I've apologized to him. I'm, dude, I'm so sorry. Like, I hate this. I hurt for you. This is wrong. This is not what should have happened. Um, so I think that's one of our responses that we can do is be a right. representative of Christ in that. Um, I know we're short on time, so I want to make sure we hit these other two um, areas and because there's a, there's a, fine line of delineation between them. I think the people who are in the church who are struggling versus the people in the church who have said, this is just who I am, Mm -hmm. but I believe in Jesus, but this is who I am. Jesus loves me and lets me love whoever like that's not okay. Right? So the way that we handle those two are totally different as well. Like again, the people who are in the church who are struggling, we love them we don't get to say what sanctification looks like. You yes. said yourself, Michael, that we try to play the role of the Holy Spirit. We don't get to do that. Yeah. We continue to love them. <clears throat> we continue to try to help them. Yeah. We continue to try to teach truth. 
I mean, we have, uh, I'm not oblivious to know that we have people in United who are struggling through things and whether it be sexual identity or something else, like addiction or something like, but I don't look at them and be like, Ooh, sucks for you. Like you better get it right or else, you know, like, yeah. no, I invite them in and say, I want you here. I want you to continue to hear truth. I want you to continue to grow in community because it's through that, that you see the love of Jesus, that you see the kindness that leads us to repentance, right. you know, that you see his goodness. And so I want you to see that. So that we, we essentially respond again in love the same way that we'd want somebody to respond to us. Now, where that fine line is, is if someone says, this is who I am, I'm not going to change, and I don't care what the Bible says about it, that's antiquated and is old and that's not even the way that the word was meant back in the day. And they translated it the wrong way. And I'm just going to live however I want to live. But I love Jesus. Jesus is good. I love Jesus. Jesus is awesome, man. Jesus came to tear down those old things. Like, no, you're wrong. <laughs> you are very wrong. You need to continue to read your Bible and stop listening to everybody else and all the podcasts and stop reading the books and stop listening to other leaders and read the Bible and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you what the truth is. Anyways, I'll, I'll, I'll be a little more practical on that end. Um, the Bible, again, is very clear. Like if someone says they're a follower of Jesus, but then identifies with the sin and says, mm -hmm. this is who I am, forget it. Think about it this way. What if I was a klepto? Like, what if I just stole all the things? Like, I've stolen, you know, let's say I steal all y'all's phones wait, somehow. Wait, I've like, been assuming that about you. Since <laughs> yeah. You're not hey, a klepto? I've, I've been delivered, Caleb. Uh, <laughs> so, no, like, just assume that I am. Like, I've stolen all the things. But I'm like, hey, man, redeemed and washed by the blood of Jesus. <laughs> like, hey, you can't turn me in. Like, God loves me. This is a, this is who God made me to be, man. Like, he I'm just trying to... He's giving me the gift of stealing. Yeah, he's giving yeah. me the gift have, of stealing. Yeah. I'm just trying to be creative. Like, I'm finding the most creative way. God created me to be creative. So, like, I really believe that it's okay for me to steal. Like, you know, it's, it's not hurting anybody that much. Like, I'm not taking that big of things. It's fine. But I love Jesus. And he's redeemed me. Like, no, he hasn't actually. He hasn't redeemed that part of you because you're not letting him redeem that part of you. You right. haven't given that to him. You haven't nailed that sin to the cross. And you're trying to, you are cheapening grace and you mm -hmm. are trying to like take yes. advantage of what God did for you, which is so terrible and dangerous. And like, that's, that's the point that I was going to bring up is like, that's a cheap form of grace. Like if, if you want to get real spicy here, read Jude. It's not like a feel good book, but read it. It's also very short. So you can yeah, read it. Yeah, you can do it, but it's very you intense. You can do it. But, but read it because it talks about like they've traded the grace of God for sensuality. They have traded saying, you know, that whole, that whole verse about like everything's lawful for me. I can do whatever I want because technically, technically grace covers it. But yeah. is it actually benefiting you? And even furthermore, is it hurting other people? Yeah. And that's like, you know, I know people in my life who have just said, I don't care. I want to do this. I'm going to justify. It. I'm going to even use the Bible to justify it because grace exists and I'm forgiven and and the blood washes me. It's like, yes, but wouldn't you want to not trample upon that blood of Jesus? Wouldn't you want to say, okay, I've been freed, mm -hmm. so I'm not going to use my freedom. And the Bible talks about this. I'm not going to use this freedom as vice. I'm going to use it to encourage and love other people. Yeah. I'm going to use it to expand the kingdom, not for my selfish gain. And that to me is like, it's just cheap grace to, yeah. to live that way. And that's that's where the line is, right? Like when people are taking advantage of grace. Mm -hmm. 
and they're not pursuing sanctification. That's the difference between the people in the church who are struggling with something and the people in the church who have given themselves over to their sin is that the people who are struggling with something, they are, they are trying to repent, even if it's difficult, even if it looks like crawling, mm-hmm. even if on the outside we don't see the fruit yet. They're, they're at least trying. There is something in them that is trying, and it's evident, and you can see it. And, you know, they're, they're seeking God in some way. Then you have the other side who says, nope, that's just who I am. Grace covers it all. God is good all the time, and all the time God is good, and he loves me just the way that I am. We sang a song last night, and I love the lyric in it. Um, it's called As You Find Me. And <clears throat> about halfway through the song, the the lyric starts to change that your love is too good to mm-hmm. leave me here. Because the first part of that song is you love me as you find me. You love me as you find me. I can be whoever I want to be. And that that's kind of the moniker of the song at the beginning. Right. And then it flips everything. And it's a beautiful song because then it changes the chord progression right oh. there. So, oh, it's so good. Yes. But anyways. And rhythm. <laughs> and rhythm. I mean, it, it changes the meaning of the song of like, yes, you love me as you find me here. But your love's too good to leave me here. And that's the thing. Like, am I pursuing you intimately? Am I pursuing God intimately to allow his love, to allow his kindness to change me? Right. Which continually. I mean, that song has in, in like an even deeper, like theological point to that. Like your love is too good to leave me here. God's love always accomplishes what God loves set out to do. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So if you haven't, if you're not changing, it is because God's love is not in you in that moment, right? Yeah. Like his mm-hmm. grace is, if you are not being changed, you do not have God's grace to change you, right? Because God's grace always changes you. Yeah. It, God will always accomplish what God wants to do. Yeah. So if God wants to change you and you allow him, then he will change you. But if he, if that's not happening in your life, it might be a telltale sign that maybe you haven't allowed Christ to be in your life. Yeah. Right? yeah. That's, like that's the theological argument that the song is making. Um, and maybe the writers at Elevation didn't even realize that Hillsong. they were made. Hillsong, yeah. Hillsong. It's okay. Yeah, I so forgive you. I had a one in three guess. <laughs> you sing most yeah. of the <laughs> so it is what it is. <laughs> I had a one in three chance of getting it right, so, you know. Um, but it's like, that's, that's the argument. It's like, and that's harsh, but it's mm-hmm. like, if you aren't being actively changed, and that, you know, for people that takes like we said, sanctification is not a one way. Yeah. Like yeah. it takes many paths. You are right? saved. You are being saved and you will be saved. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and you know, and it might take 50 years for something yeah. to be worked out, but you know, as long as you are different by the end of that 50 years than you were at the beginning, like that's a sign of God's grace in yeah. your life. But if you are no different from the time you claim to have Jesus in your life, uh, to when you die, Mm-hmm. Um, it might be a sign that maybe you didn't allow God's grace to change your life. Exactly. I think that, I mean, that's so good. And it sometimes it's harsh, but you've got to take that look inside and say, am I inviting God to change me? And yeah. Am I allowing God to, to really have every part of me, even the parts that I don't really want to give up? Yeah. Like, am I still willing? And it's, it's a process. It's a long process. But the good news in that is if you are genuinely struggling, hurt, tied up, bogged down by something, if you, God will every single time will help you through it. And it might be small increments Mm -hmm. and it might feel like you have made no progress whatsoever, even in 50 years. Yeah. But by the time everything is over, you will have been changed, right? 
Paul says, you know, he who started a good work in you will continue until its completion. Yeah. And that is a gospel truth. And yeah. so, you know, if you're struggling with something, um, you know, sexual identity, whatever it might be, like that that was something for me. Like my sexual identity, granted, had heterosexual, but you know, my my like this this addiction to sex is something I never thought um, that I could ever accomplish. And mm-hmm. it, it took years and it's still taking years. Like I'm yeah. not even close to being out of the woods on that. And I don't know if how long it will be for me to be out of the woods in yeah. that, but it's like, I could see for about five years, nothing really happened. And then starting in about year five of that, I made like a 1% increase into year yeah. six, but it's like, man, that 1% it mattered <laughs> meant yeah. that God was working on my life. Yeah. That 1% meant that I knew that God was going to be faithful to me. And that's when things started to change. Yeah. Think of your heart and your mind as, uh, the forming of the grand Canyon, right? Like the forming of the grand Canyon was Colorado river, right? Yeah. My, I got my yeah, geology, yeah, right? <laughs> okay. So, um, you know, or geography, whatever. Uh, so both actually, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but it was formed. It was formed by the Colorado River, right? And from what we've learned throughout history, is that it was not there forever, right? It hasn't been there for all of eternity. No, it was um, pretty flat for a while. Yeah, it was pretty flat, and it was eroded away over time, over a long period of time. It is still being eroded away. We are just in a blip of history seeing it, right? Um, and I think of my heart, and I think of my mind is that way that like. I am this, essentially this flat surface that God wants to carve things through, that God mm-hmm. wants to allow himself to move through in the way that he wants to. And what's going to happen is that water is moving with the path of least resistance, right? And so it's forming the Grand Canyon. And it's, I mean, you know, think about it. Just go look at a picture right now as you're listening the Grand Canyon. Like this thing started flat and yet this little, quote unquote, little river, <laughs> ran through the ran through the terrain and has now formed what is the Grand Canyon. And that's just proof, a physical proof of something that is that is small that over time and consistently continues to run to the path of least resistance creates this massive canyon. And it's the same kind of thing with our hearts and our minds, that if we continue to allow God to move with the path of least resistance, that it might take a long time to happen, but it will happen because it's that consistency of the water pushing against our hardened hearts or our hardened minds and, and stripping away all that is not of God. So anyways, you've all uh, brushed up against this with your answers and we could end on this. Um, one just simple, almost hack, easy way to uh, close. Life hack moment. We close. should have a life hack <laughs> moment in every one of we these should. podcasts. Yes. Yeah. Okay, next week for sure. Uh, we need a sound effect. Life hack. Yeah, we're like the sound of an axe hitting wood. <laughs> like hack. Yeah. Yeah. Well, life hack. Can I just go hack? Hack, hack, hack. <laughs> okay, that's it. You Life all just hack. have to say hack, 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 hack. hack. There we go. Hack. Life hack at the end of epi- every episode from now on, starting in episode 26. Okay, what is our life? <laughs> no, starting in 25, we're about to have Okay, one. yeah, never mind. Sorry. There's a, um, <laughs> and like I said, you all kind of brushed up against this. There's just a simple change of language that can go a long way towards closing the distance between um, someone who you're trying to love, who you believe is outside of the faith or living in sin or whatever it is. And it, it just is it just is this um instead of thinking of someone in your mind or speaking about someone like that person is a homosexual or that person is a cheater or that person is a klepto or that person is whatever it is like a Dallas Cowboys fan <laughs> <laughs> 
Just, just instead. We're going to the Super Sin. Bowl. I just want you to know we're winning the Super Bowl. Sorry, <laughs> continue. <laughs> well, well, it's, it's very easy to slip into uh, thinking in that language because there's immense cultural pressure to create group identity and to divide people yeah. that way. Um, instead, just just think of it like a person who practices homosexuality or a person who practices adultery. It's not, it's a subtle change, but the change, uh, what it what it implies is that the person's sin is not, you're not reducing their identity to that sin. Absolutely. And so then you can preserve their humanity, you can preserve the image of God on them, uh, and you're making it preeminent because you're putting it first when you say, this is a person who practices X sin. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's a simple way to just... Just start rewiring your brain going forward when you see it. And it doesn't have to be a sexual sin. It could be anything. Maybe somebody's just really angry when they drive. You don't call that person a road rager. Like, oh, this is my friend Steve. He's a road oh, rager. You might not, but He's I a do. rager. <laughs> Quick side note. That's why, you know, me and Caleb go to a group called Celebrate Recovery, now Celebrate Life. And part of it is we don't introduce ourselves as I'm an alcoholic. We say... I'm a grateful follower of Jesus Christ who God is walking me through this. Not, I am an alcoholic. I am a, an addict. Like you don't, that's not your identity. Yeah. When I, you're walking through, that's cool. Cause I actually went to a, uh, a, uh, sorry, I shouldn't have laughed at that. A sex addicts anonymous thing. Yeah. And I hated it. Like as soon as they asked me to say that, I actually told them I wasn't going to, like I told the whole group, I'm not saying that. Well, the first step is, and I said, no, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that I have struggled Mm -hmm. with sexual addiction, but God is redeeming me and I'm in the process right now of being sanctified. And I said, I'll say that and I'll sit in your meeting because I'm being told I have to by the therapist. So I'll sit in here and I'll listen, but I'm not saying that with you guys. I'm not doing it. And I think that's the key, the hot, the hack. Is all right. I came up with that idea, and I'm now saying it's dumb. After I, I know, heard we you need all to do have it. a freaking sound hack. effect. Anyways, anyway. okay. So y'all the, look real stupid. The life, hack, <laughs> the life hack with that though is it teaches you how to love people more with the love of Christ. One of the prayers I've prayed over over my lifetime is God help me to see people the way that you see them. And one of the ways to do that, the life hack here is that you look at people as these are people who practice this thing, like you said, versus this is their identity because if it is their identity, a lot of times in your mind, subconsciously, you will say they're irredeemable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's just yes. who they are. Yeah. And, just, and you don't, Jesus doesn't look at you that way. He doesn't say you're irredeemable. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, no, he doesn't see that. And that's the life hack on how to love people more. And it mm-hmm. helps if you start with yourself, right? Like every one of us got junk. If you start saying like, I'm a, in my case, I'm a child of God who happens to struggle with this, this, and this. And if you mm-hmm. start seeing yourself as that, it, it, it is a good transitive property to start seeing that with other people, right? And you will find yourself far yeah. more patient, far more kind, mm-hmm. far more compassionate, and far more loving if you do that. One yeah. with yourself, two with other people. Yeah. yeah. And watch your own thoughts going forward because you'll catch yourself being guilty of doing this. 100%. You will. Um, okay. Thank you all for joining the Uloft podcast. Uh, come out to United. Right now we're doing it at Summit Church. It'll be 7.27 p.m. at on Tuesday nights. And that's 2707 West Pike Road, Indiana, PA. And you should check us out on unitediup.com or Instagram at unitediup. All the stuff, we're there. And uh, thanks, everybody. See you next time. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to the ULOC podcast presented by United IUP. 
If you would like to join our community, visit unitediup.com or follow us on Instagram at unitediup. United meets every Tuesday at 727 p.m. in the Indiana Theater located at 637 Philadelphia Street in Indiana, PA. Come live United.